Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. across the cities, hands across the seas, heartbeats together, it's the sound of unity, we're linked in a chain to change the world, when you feel the strength you spread the word, we're linked in a chain to change the world, when we get together our voices
seem a little distant with a twinkle in my eye there's a very special reason you will find today is on a Tuesday and the kids learn olive base and you know that I got Shabbos on my mind Yes, I walk against the many as they're groping in the night. And I've tried to share the Torah in a rhyme. 
And the boys are now bar mitzvah And Wednesday night is here And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind And Thursday sees a chuppah And the weather is getting cold And the Torah scroll is turning And we are growing old And the jokers and the scoffers They're running out of time And you know that I got Shabbos Yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind It's a Friday morning sunrise No time to mess around I'm the old man who dovin' right on time And your prayers get more sincere As old friends pass away And you know that I got Shabbos on my mind And there is no deception Cause he knows just who you are A hunger to be holy While feeling very far And the jokers and the scoffers They're running out of time And you know that I got Shabbos Yeah, you know I got Shabbos on my mind It's a Friday evening sunset No time to mess around I'm the old man who dovin' right on time And your prayers get more sincere When old friends pass away And you know that I got Shabbos Yeah, you know I got Shabbos You know I got Shabbos on my mind
בשבתות, מיד נגעלים. שתי שבתות נגעלים. Yeah. 
This court will please come to order. Mr. Rabinowitz, you are the foreman of the jury. Have you reached a verdict? Judge, Your Honor, we have been listening to the facts in this case for six weeks, and it has been a wonderful experience for us all. We, the jury, would like to thank you for the way you have conducted this case. Thank you, Mr. Rabinowitz. But the verdict, please. Certainly, Your Honor. We, the jury, Mr. Cohen, Mr. Fine, Mr. Landsberg, the lovely Mrs. Berkowitz. Thank you, Mr. Robinowitz. You're welcome. Mr. Robinowitz, the verdict. Coming, Your Honor. Mr. Goldberg, Mr. Katz, Mr. Stein, Mrs. Cantor, Mr. I'm not lovely. The lovely Mrs. Cantor. Lovely. Mr. Rabinowitz. Mr. Finkelstein, Mr. Bloom, and Mr. Pinkish the Furrier. <laughs> Your Honor, the 12 of us have spent the past four days in the jury room debating this case. And we examined the evidence pro and con and backwards and forwards. 
to decide in the American way. Did he or didn't he do it? <laughs> Mr. Rabinowitz, the verdict, and now. Immediately, Your Honor. We, the jury, after careful deliberation on this case, have decided we shouldn't mix in. <laughs> J <laughs> excuse me, J.M. and the A.M. <laughs> oh, boy. In this month of Adar with some great comedy. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on this February the 8th, 3rd of Adar 1. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Truma with candle lighting time at 5.02 here in the New York area. 5.02, your candle lighting for this Erev Shabbos. 41 degrees, 100% humidity, winds of southeast at 2 miles an hour. <clears throat> Morning showers with a high temperature of 54. Then tonight, clear skies, a low 25. Wow, sunny tomorrow, a high Shabbos, 37 degrees. Rushalayim's at 53. We're at 41 here in New York City as we say good morning at J.M. and the A.M. Well, <laughs> I was hoping for about a, a month that I wouldn't get a, a any type of cold or problem with my voice before the Atlanta trip and I guess God was good to me he did wait till after the Atlanta trip so here we are sounding like this Friday morning Erev Shabbos you heard the Bowie uh, Vishalom uh, from Itzik Dadya Yitzchak Fuchs at Shabbatot Shabbos on my mind that's Moshe yes he did them choir with Kari Vone Nigun Carlin with Sh- that was Shimmy Engel Shlomo Katz who's going to be here Monday at JM and the AM with Mehera Hakel that's eighth day and of course Regesh Modani opening things up and we say good morning. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I want to thank those who are commenting on the NSN app, the Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. Listener Terry Bokertov, happy, happily listening to Shlomo Katz as I do Shabbat preparations in Efrat. Shabbat Shalom. Terry, who's uh, either in New York or Efrat, it seems, every time she's listening. Uh, she's getting ready for the big Shlomo Katz visit on Monday. Shlomo Katz in our studio this coming Monday here at JM in the AM. Uh, we will Facebook Live the entire visit, and we are very much looking forward to him being here. Shlomo Katz coming up Monday right here at JM in the AM. The rabbi from Atlanta. Any other JM the AM listeners headed to the 29th annual YU National Model UN this Sunday in Stanford? If the real UN worked like Yunmun, the world would be a much better place. Shabbat Shalom from the ATL. Thank you, rabbi. And I want to thank everybody who's uh, got uh, requests and comments on the app. It's much appreciated. Listen to the Dvoros. <laughs> Listen to the Dvoros says you sound sick or for Shlemo. Yeah, thank you. I'm telling you, I was hoping for a, about a month that I wouldn't get any type of winter cold before the Atlanta trip, right? That would be bad. And like I say, God took me literally. <laughs> we waited till after Atlanta. Unbelievable. Uh, more coming up here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Holmline, of course. In the uh, 7 o'clock hour, and much, much more. Today is the yard site of our dear friend Chaim Lobo Silber. Today, the 3rd of Adar 1, is the yard site of Lobo. It's two years since his passing. Hard to believe. Uh, All the lessons, all the lessons about generosity and kindness and being there for each other that he preached and that he exhibited uh, we still try our best to emulate, although it's very hard to get to the level he was at. So today we remember Chaim Lobo Silber. 
Uh, also, tonight is my brother's uh, my brother's eighth yard site, and I always use the opportunity when uh, it is to, uh, time to observe my brother's yard site to remind this audience that he passed away from esophageal cancer, and that that cancer generally, and remember this is a layman speaking, generally starts with a um, with a bad case or a noticeable case of. Uh, of acid reflux, which uh, often turns into Barrett's, which unfortunately sometimes then proceeds to become cancerous. What is our recommendation? Whether you are suffering from acid reflux or not, it would be a good idea to speak to your doctor about getting screened. Um, there is a, a simple procedure, just like a colonoscopy, is uh, done to check the colon, uh, and so many people over 40, over 50, you know, do that on a regular basis. There's also a test called an endoscopy, frankly, a little easier um, to prepare for, um, which uh, checks your esophagus and gives you a, uh, hopefully, a fresh, clean bill of health once the screening is done. So we are highly recommending, especially to those who are, who are in that arena of uh, suffering from acid reflux, Get yourselves an endoscopy, speak to your doctor about it, and hopefully you will not have to suffer the way my brother suffered uh, over the last few months of his life, a very quick few months of his life, because he was diagnosed in, uh, if I have this right, I don't have the notes in front of me, although I do have it written down, uh, he was diagnosed, I believe, in May. I know he was diagnosed the week of Parsha Shemini. I think that year was May or, or the end of April. And uh, he was gone by uh, the first week in February, like now. I believe it was February 4th, if I'm not mistaken. So tonight, the 4th of Adar 1, it was a leap year, is the yard site of uh, Rav Moshe Yonab and Rav Zev Halevi, my brother. And again, the, the best thing, there are many things, one of the best things one can do in his memory is if you're suffering or have a family member who is suffering from acid reflux, have them get it checked out, have them get an endoscopy. It could prevent loss of life, frankly. And uh, if we could do that in his memory, then these announcements certainly are well worth it. 20 minutes before 7 o'clock. It's JM in the AM on a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos. By the way, in the good news department, and there is good news to share, thank God, last night, Yeshiva University men's basketball team, the Maccabees, 15 straight victories. They beat St. Joe's of Brooklyn. They have now won 15 in a row. It's unbelievable. We were planning on going, and at the last minute, we were not able to because um, it was right here at St. Joe's in Brooklyn over the bridge. Uh, I wish I would have been there. They played an unbelievable game. They now have won 15 in a row. They play at the Merchant Marine Academy this coming Sunday. We'll see if we can get over there. And then next week, they have three home games. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday night. And we are highly recommending that everybody get over to the Max Stern Athletic Center up at YU and, and see this team play. They are making us very proud. They play um, wonderfully, and they represent the Jewish people wonderfully. And I would not be as into this team as I am if I didn't believe that. They take their role as representatives of the Jewish people very, very seriously. And I credit the players, 
I credit the coaches. I credit head coach Elliot Steinmetz for instilling this uh, this feeling, which is not always easy to instill in 20-year-olds. It's not always easy to instill that they are representing the Jewish people with every move they make. So we wish continued luck to the University men's basketball team, the Maccabees, 15 straight. We uh, say that with great and report that with great pride. Keep going, Max. You're doing amazing, absolutely amazing. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with Eitan Freilach at JM in the AM.
Wrapping up hour number one at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. וודי אלן תובע את אולפני אמזון בסכום של 68 מיליון דולרים בעקבות הפרת עסקה. לדבריו החברה נסוגה מההסכם בין הצדדים בשל האשמות שווא של התעללות מינית. כתבתנו ניקול לוין. אלן הגיש אמש את תביעת הענק בטענה כי החברה הפרה את החוזה המשותף שכלל הפקה של ארבעה סרטים בעקבות האשמות חסרות בסיס מלפני 25 שנים לדבריו. אלן מתייחס להאשמה של ביתו המאומצת דילן פארו שטענה כי הטריד אותה מינית כשהייתה ילדה. הבמה המפורסם טען כי החברה סיפקה הסברים מועטים לגבי הפרת ההסכם. התחזית ירידה בטמפרטורות. פלמנגו, כתבת חדשות החוץ, מאיה רכלין. Thank you. 
May I have your attention, please? This is the last will and testament of our dear friend and relative Samuel B. Cohen. I, Samuel Benjamin Cohen, being of sound mind and body, do hereby declare this to be my last will and testament. Number one, to my son, my beautiful boy Sheldon, <laughs> my firstborn, who made me proud of him all my life, a fine son, a good husband, a wonderful father, and the best dentist in the United States. <laughs> to my son Sheldon, I bequeath tax-free one million dollars. Wonderful. Isn't that magnificent? Good luck, Sheldon. <laughs> Number two, to my beautiful daughter Jane, with a Y. <laughs> to that lovely child who always got high marks and helped her mother with the dishes when we couldn't afford a maid, who got a scholarship to Hunter College, who for a long time has been a little too particular or she'd be married already. To my lovely daughter Jane, with a Y, tax-free one million dollars. Oh, Such a generous man. Isn't that beautiful? Mazel tov. Number three, to my beautiful wife Miriam, friend, companion, love of my life. To the lovely Miriam I give with pleasure everything that's not in her name already. <laughs> the white Chrysler Imperial with the white sidewalls and the Prince's telephone, the Picasso from the back of the store, my Arnold Palmer golf clubs with a new leather bag, and tax-free $2 million in cash. Enjoy, sweetheart, enjoy. Oh, what a marvelous husband. An angel, not a man, an angel. The Picasso from back of the store and everything. <laughs> Number four, to my brother-in-law, Louis, who lived with us all of his life, who never had to do a day's work, who knew how to handicap the ponies better than anybody, who only smoked the finest cigars, mine, to my brother-in-law, Louis, who all his life said I would never remember him in my will. Hello, Louis. <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. It is the month of Adar. It's a Friday morning broadcast here at J.M. in the A.M. on this era of Shabbos Parshish Truma. Candle lighting in New York, 502. That was, of course, one of our great comedy segments uh, for the month of Adar, or in this case, the months of Adar. Shia Rubenstein had Lachado D. Derek Achim had Lachado D. Boy Vishalom done by the Moshav Band. And Ellie Marcus in there with Yitch Tabach opening up the hour. Sorry about the um, technical problem we have with our newscaster from Israel at the top of the hour. 23 minutes after the hour, 41 degrees, morning showers, a high 54. Good morning, everybody. Table for two with Naomi Nachman starts at 9 a.m. Eastern Time right after JM in the AM. The Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, Mark Zamek. Presents that starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time here at the Nahum Siegel Network. 
Um, Malcolm Honline joins me about 15 minutes from now from Jerusalem. Malcolm Honline is in Jerusalem about 15 minutes from now. We'll start the weekly update here at JMNAM. Rabbi Yudin, who's celebrating 50 years at Shomrei Torah, and I hope everyone's gone to the website, yudintribute.org, yudintribute.org, in order to um, pay tribute to the Yudins. Uh, Rabbi Yudin joins us uh, sometime between 8.15 and 8.20 with a discussion of uh, Parsha's Truma, which is this week's Torah portion, so we'll have that for you like we do every single week. Listener to Sunel says, shout out from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. All right. We've been getting a lot of uh, shout outs in that area of the country between Philly and Cherry Hill. Thank you very much. And spread the word. Let everybody in Cherry Hill know that they have an amazing and incredible morning show called JM in the AM that you should be listening to every single weekday morning. And of course, JM Sunday on Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in when Matis Weingast presents a live version of an incredible show, JM Sunday, every single Sunday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in. You'll be glad you did, that I could tell you. Uh, a reminder that today is the art site of uh, our dear friend Lobo, Chaim Lobo Silber, his second yard site, and we remember him on this third of Adar One. Uh, he is um, remembered, rightfully so, as somebody who... Um, who preached brotherhood, togetherness, generosity, chesed, care, and concern, and demonstrated it every single day. We all aspire to be the type of person he was, so we remember him fondly on This Is Yard Site here at JM in the AM. Also, I mentioned earlier that tonight starts my brother's eighth yard site, and uh, he passed away from esophageal cancer, and I saw him suffer for, uh, for many months it is a it's a killer, and I don't just mean literally. Um, anybody out there who suffers from acid reflux, anybody out there who has a relative, a spouse, a sibling, a child who suffers from acid reflux, very often that acid reflux turns into Barrett's, and that Barrett's unfortunately often turns into esophageal cancer. Uh, if you are someone with those types of symptoms, or frankly, if you're old enough to you know, to worry about these things, if you don't, even if you don't have those types of symptoms, uh, get yourself an endoscopy, just like a colonoscopy checks out your stomach and colon. Get an endoscopy. Speak to your doctor about it, and see if you could stem the tide and uh, and possibly save your own life by getting a screening of your esophagus. All right, a very important message, something that we learned firsthand as we remember Harav Moshe Yonav and Harav Zev Halevi as his yard site begins tonight. We ask everybody to uh, pay careful attention to their own health. Let his passing uh, very possibly, and I believe it has already, uh, save the life of, of others uh, who learn from that experience. Tough lesson to learn, but let's learn from it. J.M. in the A.M. at 26 minutes after 7 o'clock, <clears throat> Friday morning, of Shabbos. I mentioned earlier, congratulations to the Yeshiva University men's basketball team. 15 victories in a row including last night at St. Joe's in Brooklyn. 15 victories in a row. How unbelievable is that? And what's most important or what gets us so riled up about the Yeshiva University men's basketball team is they are representing the Jewish people so well, so incredibly on the court and off the court. And it's not an easy thing to do when you are in the throes of a competitive spirit and the throes of real competition. 
Uh, it's not easy. Right now, they have a 15-game winning streak. They have an overall record of 16-5. and five. They have a conference record of 14-2. and two. They have a great home record, 8-2. and two. They have a great away record, 8-3. and three. This coming Sunday, they're going to be on the road at the United States Merchant Marine Academy. I know that there are people in this audience who are going to be there because it's uh, close to a lot of Jewish neighborhoods. It's at Kings Point, New York. Uh, so they're at the Merchant Marine Academy this coming Sunday. Then they'll be home Tuesday night. Thursday night, and next Saturday night, they'll be home for the last three games of the season. Do your best to bring your kids and to come and experience Yeshiva University men's basketball. It's amazing. Again, at the Max Stern Athletic Center up at YU, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday night of next week. Um, And the Saturday night one is going to be a real battle, it seems. Um, All right, so we wish Yeshiva University the best of luck in their last four games. The playoffs start around February 20th. I say it that way because it looks like they're not going to have to play the first round of the playoffs the way things are going. So, again, thank you to Yeshiva University's men's basketball team for playing great on the court and for being amazing off the court the way they represent the Jewish people. And as we said earlier, I credit the players, I credit the coaches, and certainly head coach Elliot Steinmetz for um, instilling this amazing and incredible uh, responsibility and understanding in them. Um, it really is remarkable the way they perform. And I don't just mean uh, in terms of basketball. So that's the story with Yeshiva University men's basketball. The Maccabees are doing really great, and uh, we are hoping for more and more and more. How much more good news can we ask them for, right? After 15 in a row, my gosh, how demanding can we be? But uh, they just keep they just keep on going. They just keep on going, and they're doing great. So Bezrat Hashem, they should continue. More coming up. Malcolm Holmline from Israel, and plenty more if you keep it here on a Friday at JM in the AM. Malachi, I shall 
J.M. in the A.M. Before the Yehuda Green selection. Shira Hadasha with Keladon. Matana Tova from Levi Kohen. Micha Gammerman had Shalom Aleichem. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos. Parsha's Truma with candle lighting at 5.02 on this Erev Shabbos. Uh, a couple of, first of all, I mentioned that today is Lobo's yard site. Uh, in addition to being an amazing supporter of ours. It's a second yard site, second yard site. Uh, Chaim Lobo Silber. In addition to that, he has, uh, he was, and uh, really continues to be for a lot of people, an incredible role model when it comes to uh, caring about others and doing things for others and having others in mind at all times. And as much as so many of us try to emulate him, we fall very, very short, frankly. Today, we fondly remember our dear friend Chaim Lobo Silber, Chaim Ben Colonimus Kalman, his second yard site, being observed today. I mentioned that uh, tonight starts my brother's eighth yard site, and as many of you know, he passed away from esophageal cancer eight years ago. And every year we take the opportunity to remind this audience, and I believe it's already had some life-saving, it's already had a life-saving role, these announcements, um, based on what we've heard from the audience over the years. Uh, Anybody who suffers from... uh, from acid reflux, anybody, if you, your spouse, siblings, anybody you know in your family who suffers from acid reflux, get them tested ASAP with a test, a screening called an endoscopy. Uh, often that acid reflux turns into Barrett's, and that Barrett's, unfortunately, often turns into esophageal cancer. And uh, having watched my brother suffer for that short period of time, but nonetheless many, many months, and seemed even longer, I'm sure, to him with the way he suffered, uh, over the very few uh, last few months of his life, um, if we could prevent that and we could uh, give life and uh, and remind people to get tested, so that hopefully these tests and screenings will in fact uh, give life uh, to somebody, then uh, I feel that um, at least it's a partial comfort um, for him and our family. So uh, again, 
If you know anybody in your family who is suffering from acid reflux, get them tested and endoscopy. Speak to your doctor about it, and uh, hopefully the screening will lead to a, um, you know, full recovery. Dealing with it in a medical fashion and uh, hopefully putting it in your past. Uh, and we remember Harav Moshe Yonab and Harav Zev Halevi, whose eighth yard site is uh, tonight. JM and the AM on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candlelighting in New York at 5.02. Malcolm Holmlein's in Israel. He's in Jerusalem, so we will get an update from him, especially about the uh, campaign. Once you're in Israel, it's much, much easier to uh, be swallowed up into the throes of a, of a Knesset campaign uh, than when you're 6,000 miles away. So we'll speak with him about that and many other things coming up. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Check out their website before Shabbos and print out thousands of articles having to do with Israel and the Jewish world. Again, JewishWorldReview.com. Check them out today. And I remind this audience, we have a very special guest coming in on Monday, Shlomo Katz. Shlomo Katz, with his guitar, from Efrat, will be here in our Manhattan studio this coming Monday morning at 745. Make sure to be tuned in. We'll Facebook Live it. Give everyone an opportunity to uh, to hear him, to see him, and to enjoy his visit to JM and the AM this coming Monday. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday, Erev Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. By the way, I, um, well, you know what? We'll wait till you get back, till we start praising some of the people that uh, I'd like to praise in Israel. <laughs> Oh, wait, your trip is over for that. Um, so uh, here we are on this uh, Friday morning, and everyone seems to be closely watching the election campaign in Israel. Am I right that when you're there, it's easier to get caught up in what's happening between all the candidates during this campaign? No. <laughs> you're, able to, you're able to ignore it? <laughs> uh, do I wish to elaborate on that? Uh, actually, uh, of course, it is the subject of discussion, and because the primaries that were held this week uh, and uh, all the analysis that shows uh, Hatznua and Kulano and Gesher failing to enter the next Knesset, and the, of course, the the Labor Party seems to be in crisis mode and talking about everybody's talking about different kinds of merger possibilities, and the. Um, um, the latest polls show we could with 32, and Gantz, I think, with 23, uh, and Kulano with zero. So, it, and, but it's, it will vary a lot. There have been controversies this week about things that uh, Gantz said, and um, I think the list, they got a boost that we could because the list they came out with was considered um, uh, moderate or... Uh, by some, and the, certainly the press uh, picked it up. So it's a um, it's a very fluid situation, as always, like in America. And you can have you know a lot of candidates, and the person anticipated is not necessarily the one who wins. Here, I think the bets are on maybe a lot depends on the legal processes. Anything, does he get indicted? Does he not? Anything different over the last seven days in that regard? Anything at all in terms of the investigation and indictment? Only that uh, the attorney general said that he will do what the law dictates and not uh, that will, he will not be held back from by the election calendar from announcing any results that he has. People, I think, are increasingly skeptical about um, the 
the process, not about the Attorney General, who's a very integrous and wonderful person, but about the, the whole process that some of the charges seem frivolous. I think, you know, because it's played out for so long, people get tired of it. There are a significant number who said they won't vote for a prime minister who's under indictment, but the bottom line is that the expectation is that they will come home. You know, there's a lot of internal fighting in the parties, and that also leads leads to exacerbation of the internal tensions, for instance, between Sire, the prime minister against Sire. uh, But if you look at the lineup, you have uh, very good people uh, for Likud to go to the polls with. A lot depends on what happens with Bennett and the new right party. Uh, so there are so many possibilities, and the key, of course, is who can put together a coalition. If Gantz remains at 23, that could be significant because yeah. he can pull certain parties. And, you know, they have to make a coalition without the Arab parties who don't join the government. Uh, so the religious parties are going to play a very critical role. And uh, they will yeah. and they will consider carefully. People should not think they'll automatically join Likud. They'll consider carefully who to uh, who to join. They, with. Well, look, they they joined the labor-led governments for many years, right. and now, of course, in recent years, they've been in Likud-led governments. Um, I mean, I assume I don't know. I assume you're not watching much television. Frankly, you probably have no time for that. But I would assume that campaign commercials and ads and all that stuff, billboards, signs. It's it's very active around around town, right? Yeah, I haven't seen television ads so much, uh, but again, I don't watch, as you say, but I do drive around a lot between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv meetings in, in, in both cities, and uh, the most prominent one has been these four or five-story high pictures of um, Netanyahu with President Trump, which is a little bit controversial in some circles, but uh, very impactful as you when you drive in, and it says, uh, you know, Netanyahu, a league of his own, um, there are a lot of Cajon pictures, uh, posters in, in many places, but uh, billboards are and, and political posters are growing like mushrooms everywhere, but <laughs> everywhere. Uh, he's very popular in Israel, President Trump, huh? Very popular. He is popular here, and uh, Netanyahu obviously has polling that would verify the association and the idea that, you know, he is the international statesman. He's going to be traveling to Warsaw for the meeting, what uh, was initially anti-Iran, but now, I guess, anti-other things, uh, more global uh, focus. Then he, he's, there are rumors of him going to an Arab country. I, I don't see that before the election, but it's possible. Which, which one would it be? Which one would it be if he would go? The speculation has been about the uh, UAE or Morocco. Wow. Uh, but, but I don't think either of those are going to take place. It's not impossible that he would meet one of them in Warsaw, meet a leader of one of these countries in, in Warsaw during the international conference. He'll also be in Washington for the APAC conference, probably. I think he's not going to the Munich conference, but that was announced uh, that he was going to this on um, security. And he is also, there's talk of him visiting India. What's the PA... Uh, what is the PA? And then a lot of people are coming here. They're the heads of four countries, Hungary, Poland, Lithuania, etc., are coming to um, visit Israel. Members of Congress are coming. Where's the Putin-Netanyahu meeting going to be? Uh, well, it's usually in Moscow, unless, unless you know, he ties it to the trip to, to Russia, to uh, Warsaw, where he participates as the foreign minister, not as the prime minister, so Putin is not likely to be there. Most likely, Lavrov will be there. 
neighborhood so you could drop in for tea in, in Russia. <laughs> uh, your takeaway from the State of the Union, anything noteworthy? Well, I think that the statements about uh, anti-Semitism, the presence of a survivor, uh, I thought were very powerful messages um, and reiterated support for Israel. So, I mean, as far as the agenda we look for, the, those messages were there. And very strong. Um, what do you think of the appointment of Elon Carr as an anti-Semitism envoy? Well, the anti-Semitism envoy deals with anti-Semitism abroad, not in the United States. That's done through the Department of Education. And there are a number of the, uh, people who deal with this area. Elon Carr was the president of AEPI. He was a member of the Conference of Presidents in that capacity. AEPI is the national fraternity with legitimately thousands, tens of thousands of members and alumni who are the leaders on the campuses who are who do a great job. And he was the um, equivalent of the president and is very active in Jewish affairs. He lives in Los Angeles. He's a, an excellent choice. You know, you're speaking to us from Jerusalem right now. Have you seen the statistics of tourism for early 2019 and how they compared to other years in the recent past? It's amazing how those numbers are jumping. I have met with people, but but who are in tourism, and they all say that it uh, that the biggest problem is a shortage of hotel rooms. That's unbelievable, and, and in January it's yet, incredible. It's incredible that it increases, and for people who haven't been here, every day it's a new country, the new discoveries. It's the city of David, the Minerota Hotel. To see the, as I saw yesterday, something that is not open to the public yet, but a, a Byzantine church that's more than fifteen hundred years old that's dunk below the gardens of Jerusalem. And it's a huge cavernous arched um, facility uh, built in the Byzantine period. I mean, just every day stuff being uncovered that is is just amazing. And and uh, people who, as I, as you know, I, I get very emotional about the idea that the discoveries are the greatest gift this generation can get because it's just it's God's way of showing us our connection when the UN and all those others, UNESCO, et cetera, are trying to deny it. We have the concrete proof. So Yerushalayim is, is booming. The weather is gorgeous. I don't know why people go to Miami when it costs very little bit more to come here and you have nicer hotels, great facilities. Who has more kosher food, Jerusalem or Miami? <laughs> Who has more better no restaurants? Doubt about the answer to that. <laughs> Because some have called Miami the uh, capital of uh, kosher restaurants in America, but you would say doesn't compare to Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, huh? Have hundreds of restaurants here. I mean, By the way, the number is thirty-five percent, thirty-five percent increase from January twenty seventeen to January twenty nineteen, which is pretty amazing in terms of tourism numbers. Uh, and by the way, speak. Oh, oh, and that was my question earlier, which I skipped over. When the PA sees Israel reaching out, you, 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 or or other countries reaching out to Israel, you mentioned Morocco. Uh, possible of the UAE, etc. In terms, if in theory he would go visit somewhere, uh, you know, an Arab state before the election, do they care? Like, does does it matter to them that it seems that you know that the possible relationship with Israel, a positive relationship with Israel, is just passing them by, or because of the the issue, frankly, of the uh, uh, of a Palestinian state, etc. They couldn't care less who who is in fact becoming closer and closer to the Israelis. They care very much about it, and they feel that um, he is, uh, Abbas and others, certainly uh, rail about it and against it, criticize uh, Arab countries, 
because uh, they feel that they're being abandoned, and the answer is they are, because the people are sick and tired, and this is I've heard from Arab leaders uh, constantly, even recently, they're just sick and tired of the money they've been given, have given them is being wasted and taken by the officials, and uh, Abbas, like Arafat, you know, it's a kleptocracy that they run, it's not, uh, they, they stay in power forever, they um, have rejected every initiative. And it may change. It may be that the PA will start warming or recognizing that their relationship with the United States is going to be contingent on how they respond to whatever peace plan or is put forward. They'll, obviously, everybody will criticize it because there'll be things there that they don't like. But till now, he has refused to acknowledge it, to discuss, to talk to American officials. Uh, and they, when they see that Israel uh, has improving relations with the uh, the Arab countries, they uh, feel very much that they are being sidelined, and the answer is they are by virtue of their own deeds and misdeeds, in um, and the the recognition by many Arab countries that Israel is the most reliable ally. It's an essential ally against Iran, and that Israel is the front line of that battle. And when the you know troop withdrawal or things like that come up, it only underscores more that uh, that they need. And want to be close to Israel. And not to sound too Pollyannish, but could you imagine if there was now a real peaceful relationship? Do you know what kind of benefits the PA would be getting and the types of things? And the Palestinian people. I don't want the PA to benefit. I want the people. I meant And, the, and right, I right. think that should be. I know. I know I'm right. not. Uh, right. I'm saying that, you know, too often we talk about just the focus on the leadership right. when it's the people who really. And that's why I think the approach, I hope that in the peace process proposals that come forward, will be staged and will start with developing projects on the ground that improve people's lives. I mean, this has been tried by Israel, urged by Israel. Israel has invested in this in the past, you know, the QIZ zones and other stuff, which only got destroyed. And we know what happened in Gaza with the greenhouses, et cetera, because we know that when people have a vested interest, when they can feed their families, when they, you know, are making a living, they have a vested interest in stability. It's not, it's still true that you have the ideological radicals who will, no matter what, try to sabotage whatever uh, takes, takes place. But um, but the people overall, I mean, they want to feed their families and they want to live a life, and that is being denied them. Yeah, and be able to travel freely. And get By to, their leadership. Right, and get to work and you know without any problem and, and have an, a normal employer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at com on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. I thank everybody for tuning in. Reminder, Shlomo Katz in studio this coming Monday morning here at JMA. Make sure to be tuned in. We will Facebook Live that appearance. Uh, Malcolm, what do we learn from the life of Rabbi Achiel Eckstein? Well, it was obviously a tragedy that he died at a young age and timely death, and um, we've extended condolences to his family. He uh, I've known him for many, many years since he was a young man, and before he, he even started his uh, current, uh, the good organization that he's been running, um, uh, the International Fellowship. He um, he raised a lot of money for, for Israel, uh, focusing on poor Jews. There were people who didn't like some of his ads, but everybody has to acknowledge that the difference that it made, he supported uh, Jewish institutions and organizations that benefit uh, poor Jews, and he built ties to people in the in the Christian communities, uh, and especially in the United States, but also elsewhere. 
see from the tributes to him, um, he will be he will be missed. Malcolm, a word, and 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 I think you've had a big effect on many, including myself, on this issue over the years. Uh, you know, from my background, uh, I wasn't always uh, uh, in in an environment that was um, uh, that was um, a positive about Jewish. Uh, Christian relations, especially vis-a-vis Israel. Could you just remind the audience, remind all of us, uh, how critical it is to keep that um, communication line between Christian evangelical leadership and Jewish leadership open, and just how helpful they as a community can be to uh, to Israel, both uh, in Washington and around the world? Well, it's not only how uh, critical they can be, it's critical how how much they have done and are doing. Uh, again, it, it's not a blank brush. There are organizations, uh, Christian organizations, that missionize, that still look to converting Jews, and it's not because they should change their beliefs. Uh, everybody's free to believe what they want, but you can't engage in deception like Jews for Jesus did, other groups did, and targeting Jews exclusively um, as some of these broadcasts. But when you take in contrast somebody like Pastor Hagee, who has chapters of his Kufi on 400 campuses, who brings 5,000 people to Washington every July in the most pro-Israel gathering, parallel to APAC, I would say, but for, for largely for, for non-Jews, uh, and a delegation of, of actually Orthodox Jews and others come to it because it, it's so inspiring. And one year it coincided with Tisha B'Av, and they had a, 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 a session with Kinos and Echa for, for the Jewish participants. Wow. Uh, but, you know, it, it, so it's not a question of a blank check for those who criticize, but we have to acknowledge that they are a political force. They are a powerful force in America and around the world, in Latin America. When you see embassies being moved by Latin American countries, it's because largely of the pressure of the evangelicals. It is the relationship with Israel. I think we all play a role, but we acknowledge that the a major contribution by uh, these Christian groups and evangelicals are largest fastest growing group in South America, perhaps a third of, of all the people are and identify with uh, evangelical Christianity. And you, when you compare this with the fact that Iran is trying to extend its influence, Turkey is building its presence, trying to Islamicize populations, trying to convert people uh, to Shiism or to, to Sunni Islam, but Iran, of course, to Shiism. And uh, we've seen what they've done in Europe and now in South America and in, in Africa. And the counter voice often in those places are the evangelical churches. The In, in Brazil, it's an amazing demonstration when Netanyahu came because of a large evangelical population. So the work we have done, and I, as you know, I took a lot of criticism initially when I began this uh, the outreach and the working together. Uh, with them, but I also was the one who led the fights against Jews, Jews for Jesus, and some of their leaders actually have have con- have changed and rejected what they did and have apologized for those activities um, uh, in the past. So it is uh, it, it is like our outreach to many groups that we need to have coalitions, but with them, you know, there are many areas of common belief and. Uh, practice, et cetera, that uh, helps foster the connection. Great review. A lot of people, I'm sure, did not know some of the details you just mentioned. Great review. Reading from um, uh, the JTA piece that you guys uh, printed in the Daily Alert, the U.S. Senate Tuesday approved by a 77-23 vote a bill that codifies $38 billion in defense assistance to Israel, which provides legal cover to states that target the boycott Israel movement among the Democratic dissenters 
to the bill, sponsored by Senators Marco Rubio and Joe Manchin, were declared presidential candidates Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. Non-declared presidential contenders who voted against included Bernie Sanders and Sherrod Brown. Um, I, I'm having a little trouble understanding this, like how, how big of a deal this is if someone didn't vote for it. Normally a vote like this, especially one that uh, is painted as a Israel support bill, would get a much higher percentage in the Senate. Am I right about that? Absolutely, and I think it's disgraceful that many of the people who have walked away from previous commitments, and especially when they represent large Jewish constituencies, um, the excuses on fighting the BDS or not supporting BDS, uh, I think are not legitimate. It's not a question of free speech. And we see that over, overwhelmingly the American people um, um, oppose boycotts of Israel, 41 percent uh, oppose it, and uh, only 20 percent of likely voters favor it. So it's not a politically wise thing, but it tells you the direction and, and the influences that are, are at play right now. Uh, and with n- nobody can doubt what the challenges are to Israel and why the aid from the United States is so important, why fighting BDS at a time when anti-Semitism is rocketing. We saw the reports from Great Britain this week about a 16% increase again uh, to almost 1,700, uh, as I recall, incidents. Um, it's more than a hundred a month, and so it's it's a, the growing incidents are true in America as well. Uh, the fact that the Senate passed by 77 to 23, uh, the BDS uh, measure shows that this is, which includes the 38 billion in defense assistance, uh, shows that the overwhelming support is not because these others have a better answer or or some moral uh, platform on which you're standing. It's political. And I think it's uh, it's uh, very regrettable. It has no impact on the right of individuals to boycott Israel or to oppose Israeli policies. It doesn't limit their freedom of speech. And I think you should see what Marco Rubio wrote in the Times about the nature, the truth about the BDS and the lies about the bill that he, this bill that he um, uh, sponsored. So it's uh you know it's regrettable i don't think it represents where most democratic voters are and hopefully will be and means we have to do a better job of education and we have to hold to account those who who uh don't support what are vital uh, initiatives like this i mentioned uh, cory booker I, I actually was criticized last week for not asking you about uh, uh cory booker tossing his hat into the ring i mean i i don't know if there's anything you could share with us in terms of the current uh, presidential candidates who, you know, some from this area who've already declared. I mean, any, anything you want to share with us? Or <laughs> I know you're not endorsing anybody, but 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 some of them have a good record when it comes to Israel, and others have a questionable record when it comes to Israel. Would that well, be a good? I think you have such a slew of candidates, so many people declared, undeclared. Uh, people should let things settle down. Again, I hold. I think on substance, we should be. Uh, holding them to account, demanding that they answer questions when they appear at fora, uh, wherever, whether in Iowa or New York or New Jersey or either the home states or their traveling states, they should be held to account uh, and and question on these on these vital interests. They all profess to be pro-Israel, but unfortunately, the definitions uh, stretch that to points of incredulity and. Uh, I, I don't, and you know, w- w- we see so many issues with the um, the, the Iranians. Then, you know, had a, another space launch, and yet none of them will discuss the vote that they took on on Iran to show that they're actually violating 
the JCPOA, that the um, the operation, the Russian F three hundred now becoming operational in Syria, uh, according to the thing, uh, to some of the satellite photos. These are all vital, vital challenges, and yet we see people focusing on, on narrow arguments, which are distorted, and rather than looking at the big picture and what America's obligation, what America's interests are in all of these things. Letting the, uh, the expansion of the boycott is not in America's interest, not in Israel's interest, not in the interest of the Palestinians who paid a price for this uh, largely. And the uh, and the and so far, the explanations that we've heard uh, from certain senators or members of Congress or others just don't hold any water. They're just not valid. And the, the um, you know, we have to show that the Jewish voters will be active and, and hold to account but again, not to jump the gun, you know, this, the, the, the list will sort itself out over time. And especially by the time they get to Iowa, I think in a year, uh, we'll see how many of these candidates are still there. It's a year till Iowa? Oh, my God. I, I think so. Wow. 10 months, but a long time. I don't even know. I mean, this is something that you could actually, you know, schmooze with us about at some point. I don't even know if a really, really early presidential candidate announcement has ever been beneficial. Like, I'd have to think if... You know, somebody who does announce two years before the election has ever had a positive, you know, strong run to the finish line. I don't even know. I'd have well, to... one of the things that happens is that whoever is the front runner, then the media goes after them, so they keep knocking right. them down. Uh, so they're no longer the front runners, and somebody else pops up as a front runner, and they they become the target. Right. Uh, so you know, I think right now this is it's a it's a question of people getting the, the recognition, getting the media coverage, putting their names out, having cover for setting up exploratorial committees or actually announcing their candidacies. You know, the mayor of South Bend and others who may be wonderful people, but it's a little strange to see, you know, this whole range of, of candidates emerging at this at this point. Yeah, a lot of we'll see what happens. A lot of different resumes. Maybe they're positioning themselves to be vice presidents, to be secretaries of state by getting their name, getting a vote getting national prominence. Right, and as uh, and as some um, skeptical and some might claim non-skeptical uh, uh, observers have said, uh, once you do throw your hat into the ring, uh, your speaker's fee goes way up. So it could be that they're just trying to get a little bit more prominence and have more of a voice out there and then benefit from it in the long run. Not to be cynical, of course, but that's what some people do. Not, of course. Do point out. On the God, subject God of, forbid. On the subject of American politics, I just don't get it. The, the whole... The Maloney Nadler thing this week. All of a sudden, and especially in this in this um, environment, all of a sudden they're calling for the Golan to actually be annexed uh, by Israel, or is there some other variation to this whole thing? Is that what they're calling for? Well, this. Uh, well, they ha- they have said that it's something that should be considered. Um, uh, they didn't. I don't think they put in a legislative initiative. There was a resolution introduced in the Congress about it to recognize uh, Israel because the UN voted overwhelmingly that Israel should abandon the Golan. And right. think about this in the context of the war in Syria now. Yep. And, you know, what what it would have meant if Israel had returned the Golan to Syria. You know, now all of northern Israel would be under fire, and, and you'd have Iranians and the militia and Hezbollah all over it. And Israel now has to fight to keep them away, even under these circumstances. Uh, and then the ge- geopolitical situation, people, we've discussed this many times, so the Israel has put forward this idea of uh, Netanyahu has suggested it that they annex the Golan to put an end to, to the dispute because they're not giving it back. This and there's no negotiations, no possibility of negotiations for the foreseeable future. 
where the Golan could be returned. There are Syrian troops. They do have a significant place there, part there. There's an understanding that the with reach with the Russians and the U.S. that Iran will stay, I think, 50 kilometers away from the border, but we know it's being violated. And as I said, I cited some of the other violations, the movement of weapons. The um, I saw that the Iranians uh, moved, um, uh, you know, that the um, uh, they've moved the operational centers out of Damascus because they've been hit, but the... Um, uh, you know, with the presence of the S-300, if it becomes operational, become difficult. That's why Bibi's meeting with Putin will be very important to, um, you know, to draw the red lines and make sure and assure what Israel has demanded, that it, they need operational freedom to be able to act against the shipments of weapons to um, that, that Iran is sending both to Syria and to uh, Lebanon and the IRGC is moving its weapons supply center from the international airport to the uh, Syrian T4 air base, uh, which is near Palmyra, uh, because of the attacks against the, uh, their sites and their storage facilities and weapon uh, missile facilities uh, stored at the Damascus airport. So the, Israel's hits are taking a, a toll, but we know that they're, they're doing more to, to transfer weapons and the guidance systems to Hezbollah and to build up. They want to get 100,000 of their militia in there. I can't believe that Assad is going to be comfortable. I don't think the Russians are really going to want this. Russia hit uh, certain storage facilities and sites uh, in the last days. People should watch that carefully where uh, Russia's hits have taken place. Why is Iran so bad at these uh, satellite launches? Uh well, it takes, you know, you need a few misses before you get a hit. And I think that, um, you know, the, the last one, the launch may have been okay, but something went wrong during the flight. And this is the second. Uh, and we know that there have been more. So I'm not sure that they, they're not just trying to rush something in order to make the point that they can, and they keep advertising that they have the ballistic missile capacity. But every time one of these fails... And I assume it's not sabotage, but a failure of the um, of the mechanics itself, of the missiles themselves, not external uh, forces uh, sabotaging it. That the um, that they have a lot of work to do. And they should be devoting that money to the needs of the people, to providing water and food and other things, which are in in many places in short supply, rather than what they're doing in in terms of expanding their military capacity. Uh, both in uh, Syria and in the whole region. And you still hear from the leaders of the people there, right? You're still getting messages, messages and from the people in Iran, right? From people, not the leadership. I mean, obviously the the counter leadership, right? But yes, and they, you know, there are demonstrations going on all the time, and almost no uh, recognition and no reporting uh, uh, of it. And and you know that the Russians and like the Iranians are hiding their real losses, you know, in in Iran. Uh, one of the reasons why Israel, I think, went public with uh, um, uh, the statistics about the raids that took place by the IDF in Iran is so that the people in Iran will know about it, and that the message would be very clear that perhaps even the leadership hasn't been told the truth by Soleimani and the RGC about how much they've lost in what toll is being taken uh, on this 
And, you know, the United States have been pressing the new Lebanese government not to support Hezbollah, but clearly Hezbollah and Hezbollah is sort of uh, backing off from saying they control it. They say, no, you know, we, we're just ministers or minister of health, when in fact we know that they play a dominant role. But they're, they're scared of the consequences uh, from Israel because they are uh, integral parts of the government of Lebanon. Hmm. Uh, any takeaway from the Pope's visit to the Gulf? Um, they had a nice yarmulke. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's a very important statement because it's the first time, and then all these things break down barriers. And part of what has happened recently, as you know, is a growing recognition, articles, uh, public discourse about Jews and ties to Jews, and the fact that you have Jews present in various Muslim countries at these uh, at the events, even when they are... Um, um, you know, um, uh, fundamentally, you know, World Muslim League or others. And when the head of the World Muslim League, former minister of justice, sort of writes the kind of articles that he did in the Washington Post and Time magazine, when you see a, a number of manifestations, it's not that there's a radical change yet amongst the populations, but, you know, the message has to permeate down. But if it starts at the top, you have a chance then that it will, um, uh, you know, uh, influence general public opinion and knowing that it's acceptable uh, to two people is very important. Did you see that the population of Udon Shamron is about to hit half a million? Yes, I did. That's quite a remarkable growth. And it's remarkable growth. Having and I, a lot of babies. And I guess with, uh, you know, with the, with the, the right patience and time, uh, you know, certain things may be, uh, may be decided in terms of facts on the ground and they won't have to be negotiated. Uh, which I know would make a lot of people very happy. Others probably not so happy, but you get my point. And a Haifa court finally has said that uh, the flotilla boats are able to be seized by Israel. I, can't even be- I cannot even believe that this was an issue that went to court. Well, Israel is a country of law and order, and you have to, you know, you go to the courts, people go to courts and government. Uh, issues regularly end up in the courts that would not necessarily be true in America. So the... Um, yeah, that this issue went there, and the ruling is pretty clear. Uh, so we have to um, we have to make sure that people understand what is the story behind these things. You know, well, one of the points I made in an interview this week is that Americans and and Jews around the world and non-Jews have to be educated. The things that people take for granted, the withdrawal of the TIPH forces from Hebron and people saying, well, they're abandoning, they're not abandoning. This group has done nothing but be destructive and counterproductive from its very start. Uh, When we read that, um, uh, you know, about the dangers that are are growing around Israel, while Israel is strong and uh, very capable of, of dealing with things, we have to, they have to be realistic about the challenges. And a thing that is so marginal, like the um, what do you call it, the flotillas, but also BDS. But BDS now, there was a, the reports that came out, something we have discussed, which ties them to the Palestinian terrorist organizations, that the BDS committee is made up of people from the NGOs that are tied to terrorism and support for terrorism. So anybody who has doubts about what is the real significance, that it's not an economic issue, as we have long said, but it's... Um, you know, it's it's much more fundamental. It is about security, and the you know that those who who bought into the argument, you see how the EU all of a sudden is gravely concerned by Iran's ballistic missile activity. Why? Because they bought the lies all along, and they they see that Iran 
while they're trying to argue how they want to bypass the sanctions and put the SBV, you know, for, for trade, which is not going to work, um, in place, the, the Iranians are, are proudly and proclaiming that they're de- developing the missiles, etc. So people have to understand that, that what might appear trivial may not be at all, that it has much broader significance. 100%. All right, uh, enjoy Jerusalem, a wonderful Shabbos, and we will speak Bezrat Hashem next week. God willing, I hope I'll be back. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, uh, 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 joins us Fridays, 7.40 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Kendall Lighting in New York, 502. Don't forget, we have amazing programming coming up all through the day, including the Arab Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem that starts at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Our Erev Shabbos music mix, sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem, begins at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time after the Harry Rothenberg video blog and Parsha's Truma. Uh, Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned into a live presentation of JM Sunday. Again, 7 a.m. Eastern Time this coming Sunday. Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night at 9 with Rabbi uh, Eliezer Zwickler. That's all tomorrow night. 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I did mention earlier, today is the yard site of our dear friend Chaim Lobo Silber, Chaim Ben Kalinimus Kalman. We remember him two years after his passing. I also mentioned that tonight begins the yard site of my brother, Rav Moshe Yonah Ben Rav Zev Halevi, eight years since his passing. I do remind this audience again that he died of esophageal cancer. And those of you in the audience or people you know in this audience uh, or people or people of this audience or or people in this audience and those you know, if they're suffering from acid reflux, that is very often something that turns into Barrett's, and that often, unfortunately, turns into esophageal cancer. Get tested now. If you suffer from acid reflux or if you're of a certain age, speak to your doctor. Get an endoscopy screening test now. An endoscopy is what you're asking for. Speak to your doctor about it, and hopefully these announcements will lead to people being diagnosed, uh, people who are diagnosed being able to beat any possible uh, cancerous situation or cancer situation in uh, future years. And we certainly hope that this is uh, taken seriously by those who are suffering from acid reflux. And these announcements are made, of course, uh, this time each and every Friday. Oh, and I remind you, Rabbi Yudin, as we discussed yesterday, Rabbi Yudin and his wife, Chevy, the Rebetzin, they're being honored at the 50th anniversary tribute dinner of Shomrei Torah. Coming up on the 7th of April, go to the website, yudintribute.org. Yudin, Y-U-D-I-N, yudintribute.org. If you're a listener of this show, for what, what, no matter how many years, you may want to toss in a few dollars and pay tribute to Rabbi Yudin's contributions to the community and to our program over the last 35-plus years. Yudintribute.org. Participate today. Uh, this time each and every Friday morning, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Truma. With Parshas Truma, we begin the last third of the book of Shmos, the Sefer Geula, and the Ramban says that our true redemption did not come about until we were privileged to construct a mishkan, a mikdash, a sanctuary for Hashem, having His shechina, His presence, dwell in our midst. 
according to the Sefer Achinuch, there are three mitzvos in this week's parsha: two positive and one restriction. The primary mitzvah being Asuli mikdash v'shochanti b'solcham. Make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in their midst. Now, the obvious question that I think should be reviewed each year is, why a sanctuary? We know that Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvokos, Melo Chol Haaretz Kvodo, God is found literally all over. Why do we need a house for God? And man who has all kinds of needs, man who needs a roof over his head, a man who needs a place to sleep and a place to eat, a man needs a home. God doesn't need anything. Why a house for God? So very possibly that ideally, maybe we didn't. However, the and I will present just as background to this, two different approaches, that of Rashi and that of the Ramban. Now, Rashi tells us that there's a very important yesod of a muktam umu'uchar batorah. The Torah is not necessarily written in a um, sequential order in terms of how the various incidents occurred. And even though the command of Truma and Tetzava this week and next week's parsha comes before that of Kisisa and the sin of the golden calf, Rashi learns that it's only because the Jewish people made the tragic mistake of uh, worshipping a golden calf when they miscalculated, and Moshe did not come down, quote, in time from Har Sinai. They showed that they needed something physical, and therefore Hashem basically said, you asked for it, you got it, I will give you the command of a Mishkan so that you can have a physical place where you can come regularly, three times a year, Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkos, to the base Hamigdash, you can see a greater degree of God's presence as you find in the fifth chapter of Avos, the daily miracles which took place in the base Hamigdash, a place where you can come and bring korbanos. So the idea is that, once again, as the Chinuch writes, achareha pu'ulos, after one's actions, nimshachos halavavos, does our commitment come? And therefore, by having a central location, it unifies the Jewish people, it connects us with God, but all this comes as a response to the negative of the golden calf, and therefore the Torah, in its kindness, rather than give us the incident of the Egel first, and then, as it happened, give us the mitzvah 
to construct a sanctuary, Hashem puts the mitzvah to build a sanctuary before the chait of the Egel in order to avoid annually egg on our face whereby we'd be reminded that this comes because of that. That is Rashi's approach to the Mishkan. The Ramban has a very different approach and the Ramban says no, that the Parshios are going in its proper order. We had Yisro, the Ten Commandments. We had Mishpatim last week with the many more civil laws. And now comes the mitzvah of making a sanctuary for God. Why? Says the Ramban. Har Sinai was the place where Hashem communicated Torah to Moshe and the Jewish people. Now that they had to move on, they could not take the mountain with them. So the Mishkan becomes the portable Sinai. It becomes the extension of Har Sinai. And as we find in the beginning of the parasha, where Hashem tells Moshe and the Jewish people to construct a Oron, to construct an ark. And what's going to happen at that Oron? What's going to happen in the Kodesh HaKadoshim? The Torah says, Adati, I will meet with you there. This is in chapter 25, Pasuk 22. Hashem is going to meet Moshe there, and he's going to continue the uh, revelation of continuing teaching Torah to the Jewish people. And therefore, how are we to look upon our synagogue? One, a place that unites Jews, and two, a place where the Jew is taught Torah. Interestingly, in this week's parsha. Moshe becomes not only Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher, but Moshe becomes the fundraiser. And I'd like to spend a few moments talking about just that, the fundraising, and more specifically, what each and every one of us can do in keeping with the interesting Gemara that we find in Baba Basra, Daftes Amid Aleph, Rabbi Elazar taught, Godol Hamiaseh Yoser Minhaose. When it comes to Tzedakah, greater is the one who causes others to give Tzedakah even more than the one who actually does it himself. And he bases this on a pasuk in Yeshaya, Perik Lamid Beis, pasuk Yud Zayin, whereby the pasuk reads, shalom. Literally, it will be that the act of charity will bring peace. What do you mean the act of tzedakah? Ma'aseh tzedakah. Let it say, as Rashi comments on the Gemara in Baba Basra, let it say that 
with tzedakah will come peace. What is this ma'aseh tzedakah? So Rashi says, Torah, literally the trouble, the pain of ma'asim ischavrehem, those who inspire and cause others to give charity, this is an especially uh, noble act. Now, this idea of Godol HaMe'aseh, Yoser Mino'oseh. So, interestingly, there are those, and the Chofetz Chaim brings this down in his Avas Chesed, Chelek Beis, chapter 16, whereby some want to base it on the Pasuk regarding Tzedaka in Parshas Re'ei, Alkein Onochi Mitzabucha Leimor. Therefore, Hashem says, I am commanding you, open your hand. That word, Lemor, found in Devarim 15.11, seems to be superfluous. And therefore, what's the Lemor? Tell others. And one more proof to this concept, that when you cause others to do it, it is literally your doing as well, it's ascribed and attributed to you. The Gemara in Sanhedrin 99b says in the name of Rabbi Abuhu, whoever gets the next one to do a Dvar Mitzvah, the Torah looks upon it as if you did that Mitzvah, as it says, at the end of Bishalach, right before Vayavoa Molek, Moshe goes and hits the rock as instructed by Hashem. With Hashem tells him to take Matcha, the staff, the staff with which you struck the river. Wait a second, asks the Gemara. Did Moshe? hit the river when it came to the first three of the plagues, blood, frogs, and the lice. It didn't come from Moshe. Although Aaron, he kohu. Aaron is the one that hit the river. Ella, lomalach. It comes to teach us, the one who literally gets the next one, encourages, teaches, tells. And in this case here, Moshe instructs Aaron to hit the water. The Torah looks upon it literally as if Moshe himself had done it. Now why might this be so, especially regarding tzedakah, that there is this very significant uh, aspect of me'aseh, of getting others to do the act of tzedakah. So the Shalah, in his commentary on the Gemara Megillah, writes that the one who donates himself can only give what he can afford. But the one who gets others to give is able to clearly collect from that many more. So it's a very practical thing. However, in the Sefer, Me'il Tzedakah, he writes very powerfully that by you going and collecting money on behalf of a needy individual, 
you are saving that person from the embarrassment, from the humiliation that he would have to do to gather it and get the money for himself. But let's move on. Moreover, when the poor person whom you don't know comes to the door, so you would not necessarily, the donor, feel compelled to give a more sizable donation. After all, you don't know him, and even if you do. However, if the individual that comes and asks you for the money is somebody that you know, you are going to be embarrassed unless you give in accordance with your ability. So it's a very practical thing that you're going to very often get more money by you going uh, rather than the individual himself. And the Chafetz Chaim in his Sefer, Avas Chesed, writes the following, that the one who uh, is the Ose, the one who gives the charity, he does Chesed kindness with his money. The Me'ase, the one who is collecting it, is doing the chesed begufo with his body, which is even a higher form of a performance of a mitzvah. And finally, the lev Eliyahu, rebelio lapian, gives three basic reasons for this halacha, and he says, number one, you are mizakeh esharabim. You are literally... Uh, providing others with the opportunity to perform a mitzvah. Secondly, the idea is that <clears throat> you, the collector, very often you are misbazeh. You are humiliated by having to go around and collect the charity. And finally, the one who gives the charity, he's giving of his money. The one that's collecting is giving of his time. So these are many, many reasons for this concept that not only are all Israel responsible one for another, but the idea is that so important that we get involved. Now lest anybody say, me, how can I go collecting for money? I'm just going to suggest very quickly a few areas whereby we can be the ma'aseh, mi'aseh. We can cause others to do uh, the <coughs> the action. <coughs> There's a shear in town. Publicize it. By you publicizing the shear, letting other people know, then what you are doing is enabling other people to go. I was in Israel, and it's taking off in various buildings where they have elevators. Somebody puts once a week and changes it a dvar halacha. Just think, so that when you're riding in the elevator, wow, you learn something. You are teaching others by so doing. I can't give a class, but you know what I can do? I can donate svarim to the local synagogue. And by donating books to the synagogue, which are going to be used by others, I am being mezakeh them with Talmud Torah. You can not only go yourself to visit the sick, but organize others to go at different times. 
to visit shut-ins. And this is kol ha-mi'aseh. Once again, <clears throat> getting others to do it is the wonderful opportunity of not only spreading the wealth, giving these persons more visitors, but you're increasing your visitation by their going. Greet newcomers to the Beis HaKnesses. By you going out and greeting them, you're going to oftentimes give them that necessary push to come back. They weren't sure if they should come in the first place. You're being there with the uh, uh, wonderful, warm greeting, making them feel at home, if need be, standing next to them, showing them the place, etc. And finally, you and your chavrusa, don't learn in your home, learn in the shul, and you learn a half an hour, 45 minutes before myriv. Somebody else comes to shul early, sees you learning, you're going to give them that wonderful example of kol ha-mi'aseh. So this week's parasha, as we spoke, Asuli Mikdash, bringing literally God into our community through the Beis HaMikdash. And now, today, through, till we have the next Beis HaMikdash, through our synagogues, may it motivate us as well to emulate the ways of Moshe Rabbeinu, Kol HaMi'aser, the one who gets others to do it. It's even Yoser Mino'oser. Shabbat Shalom. To all. J.M. and the A.M. Friday with candle lighting at 502 in New York. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin and a reminder of Rabbi Yudin and Rebetz and Chevy Yudin are being honored the 7th of April for their 50 years of service to Congregation Shomri Torah and really to the entire Jewish world, frankly. Uh, participate. Yudintribute.org. Yudin, Y-U-D-I-N, tribute.org. Participate and be part of a great celebration coming up the 7th of April. And we hope all of our listeners who've been listening to Rabbi Yudin for God knows how long, 10, 20, 30 Whatever number of years you're out there on a Friday listening, please participate at UdenTribute.org. Reminder, Shlomo Katz is coming Monday. Shlomo Katz is coming Monday live in studio right here at JMNAM. Very much looking forward to it. He'll have his guitar, do some live music. Should be a very, very fun way to start the week during the month of Adar. Coming up Monday with Shlomo Katz in studio here at JM in the AM. I also remind you, tonight is my brother's eighth yard site. And we always use the opportunity to remind everybody, since he passed away from esophageal cancer, that if you are one who suffers from acid reflux, especially at a certain age, very often that acid reflux turns into Barrett's, which eventually, unfortunately, can turn into esophageal cancer. Easiest way to screen this is to go to your doctor and ask about an endoscopy. Again, endoscopy. And we encourage everybody who's in that type of situation and certainly encourage those in your lives who may have that type of symptom uh, to get it checked out and get that endoscopy as soon as possible. And that could, and it already has, saved lives over the years as we've made this announcement. As we remember, Harav Moshe Yona, Ben Harav Zev Halevi. And I thank you very much for that and for um, uh, taking it very seriously, as many of our listeners do. want to take this opportunity and congratulate the Yeshiva University men's basketball team. 15 victories in a row. I mean, not just unprecedented. They've shattered every old record possible during this run. Just incredible. Uh, They play again Sunday. Then they have three home games, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday night next week. We'll talk about that with Elliot Steinmetz, their coach, on Tuesday. And uh, just a word about how they represent us, the Jewish people, not only on the basketball court, but off the court as well. It is an amazing group of young men. I credit the team, the players, these coaches, and, of course, Coach Steinmetz 
for this amazing attitude that he has instilled in them, keeping in mind that even at the age of 18, 19, 20, uh, you have the weight of the Jewish world on your shoulders as you, uh, as you participate in these, uh, public, um, these public contests. So again, Yashikoch to the Yeshua University men's basketball team. Speaking of sports, by the way, here's an opportunity to invite and speak with our friend Ross Rothenberg of the Rothenberg Law Firm. You know the Rothenberg Law Firm has uh, been an amazing supporter of ours and a group that has been there for us and a million other Jewish causes, and including the Kosher Halftime Show that uh, we provided for the entire Jewish world this past Sunday and that everybody could watch whenever you get around to it. It is what we call an evergreen program and a very fun one, to say the least. And Ross Rothenberg of the Rothenberg Law Firm is with us live via telephone. Ross, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. How are you? Everything is fine. I mean, I think a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners want to know: Are you allowed to bring a lawsuit against the NFL for a boring Super Bowl? <laughs> well, Nachum, I mean, if, if they're still trying to stop the lawsuit against the NFL because what happened in their Saints game, um, <laughs> you know, they're still, they're still deciding what's going to happen there. But what a what a boring Super Bowl! What a boring Super Bowl. It was, and especially for someone like yourself, it's well known that you and your family, you love the city of Philadelphia and its sports teams, and think back to how exciting they made the Super Bowl just a year ago. You know, I don't want to go back that far, but, you know, I, I look at it, we still, we're still the champions. This team jumped in there, and, um, you know, however they got there, they'll be back again next year, whatever, however Belichick or Belichick wants to do it. Wow. You know, it's frustrating. You know, but but Nachum, to a casual fan, you know, it may have been a boring game, but I think, you know, I know you're a big baseball fan. Yep. You know, it was really a pitcher's duel in a way. It was, yep. you know, a, a one nothing game. Uh, where if you're if you're really into sports, you appreciate what what Belichick did in that game to stop that Rams offense. Yeah, the truth is that um, as much as everyone likes to uh, hop on the bandwagon of complaining about the boredom, uh, people my age and others, like you say, who enjoy a great defensive battle did find it intriguing at least you know we we were not among the millions of people who tuned out at some point in the middle of the game so yeah i agree with you on that yep. so i um i take this opportunity to remind everybody that the kosher halftime show is available to all i want to thank you and everybody at the rothenberg law firm i mean it's 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 sort of you know it's 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 no surprise that you guys would sponsor that and so many of the wonderful projects that we embark on because when it comes to Jewish causes, it seems you guys are everywhere, and uh, there's so many wonderful causes, both educationally and uh, different stuckers that are available uh, to everybody to support around the Jewish world. I-, I would assume that you and your family and your firm are very active in many of them at this time of year. We we are, and um, you know, Nachum, you know, your show specifically. It's interesting you just mentioned your brothers, your brothers, your side, and you, you know, he's he's a shemesh and having Aliyah. Thank you. Um, you're talking about preventing esophageal cancer for so many people, and you know whatever they can do to prevent it and to, to have the, the, the knowledge to take a test, you know, whatever can be done to prevent that. That's really what we do. You know, Nachum, you have a tremendous forum and a tremendous audience, and, and we come on here to talk about safety and preventative measures that people can take. And if people just, some listen, you save one person, you, you, you do save the world. And, and unfortunately, not everyone is going to listen and not everyone is going to be able to, to, even if they take the preventative measures, things are going to happen. But if we can use your forum to help people, that some things are just common knowledge, some are not, it's all worth it. And, you know, you, that's why your, your forum in particular is really important for, for, for us and for all your listenership. I, common sense tips, Nachum. I appreciate that very much. And it's funny you mentioned the comparison because in, in this case, where every year we're announcing these preventative measures because of what my brother suffered from, 
we literally get calls from people, hey, got tested and guess what? Or, hey, my wife got tested and guess what? You know, they found something was developing and they're able to take a, you know, to put a stop to it. A lot of the stuff that you're recommending when we get into talks, you know, especially around Yuntif time and, uh, and certainly Erev Shabbos safety, et cetera, and other things, obviously. A lot of things you'll never hear from anybody because they'll implement it, but nothing will nothing will become symptomatic or anything will ever happen that will make them say, oh, you know, this didn't happen because I went ahead and did this. So a lot of what you recommend, a lot of what we discuss on the air really goes unnoticed, but in a big way, really goes a long way in in becoming preventative measures for people in our community. So we got to keep that in mind. We're not always going to get feedback from people on that, but there's no question that all these precautions certainly uh, are a big help down the line. Absolutely. Listen, Nahum, no one, you know, they only come to us after something happens. Right. You know, that, that's, right. That, that's, the, that's the reality. Exactly. By the way, with all this, uh, uh, how do I put it? Summer-like, although that's such a bad term to use because I wish it was summer. With all, with all these close to summer-like conditions in the Northeast, I guess a lot less uh, in terms of accidents on the road due to snow and ice. And thank God not as many people falling and, uh, and uh, you know, and suffering from those types of things. Am I right? Or you don't see a noticeable difference during this season. I, this this year, thankfully, ha- there has been a difference. You know, it's not it has not been as icy and snowy, but unfortunately, there's still many car accidents out there. Yeah. Uh, people that are just you know just not taking it seriously, and the texting and driving, as you, as you know, has just been just been awful. It's just it's an epidemic. It really is an epidemic. Is there any way to determine? And again, you and I would either you or others in your firm, I'm sure, on top of this. Is there any way to determine if the texting while driving epidemic is in fact getting better? Or, or God forbid, the opposite that you're noticing a trend the other way. There, there are studies out there that have shown, unfortunately, even even states that prevent it, the, the numbers are still up. I think they're they're doing whatever they can. As you know, these different governments are putting Operation Zero to try to stop all texting and driving, pulling people over for that. I guess first offense used to be you couldn't pull somebody over just for texting and driving. Now you know, or using the phone. Now you can. I think it is making a difference. It, it is making a difference that the police feed and being more careful and people themselves, you know, I guess worrying about that ticket. You know it's what I you know, just, yeah. you know what I notice? I notice a lot of teenagers and those who are of age ready to understand, they're they're making sure to remind their older siblings and their parents about the dangers of it, which is which is good if it's starting from the bottom up. It is. Unfortunately, you know, I want to get this a different topic, but, you know, when these kids are starting with the phones at a young age, yeah. if the epidemic is that they're constantly with this device and it's, it's their, it's not even their, they're, they're holding this thing at all times. Not, not the big problem. Yeah, no question about it. All right, safety, everybody. You know the importance of it. Try your best to speak to your family members and to make sure they implement all these safe precautions, both driving and in so many other areas of life. I would assume the best way to reach the Rothenberg family and your law firm is still injurylawyer.com. Am I right? It is. It is. Injurylawyer.com is, um, is what we do, and it's how to reach us as well. There you go. So use that website, everybody. Great resource, and obviously the Rothenbergs are there, as we always say, not only uh, to help out in times when you're really in need in terms of the uh, legalities and the law, uh, but they've been amazing for our community. And I hope you guys take great pride in the Kosher Halftime Show. We, we do. We do. Thank God. You know, I thought you were going to ask me why we did it. You know, thank, we, we like to be involved in quality products, and that really was the only quality product that night. Correct, <laughs> correct. As a as a big Hollywood producer told us, you guys killed the NFL's halftime show. <laughs> Absolutely, and the game and the game itself. You know, not to be talk. I want to throw something out to all, all your listeners out there. It's not just you know when you need us. You do need us. You need us tonight. If you want to contact us today, anytime, we will give you reflector belts. You're going to Schultz tonight, Shabbos, walking back and forth, wearing dark clothing. We have Rothenberg Law Firm reflector belts. 
that everybody should be wearing, whether they're our firm or anybody, it's just really simple. Put the belt around your chest. It may not look so great, but you know what? If one car can see you because of the light's reflecting off your belt, it's well worth it. You know, it's funny, Ross, and we may have you and I may have spoken about this before. I've been criticized for not making this a major issue, and the answer is obvious. The answer is I live in Manhattan where, frankly, you know, those belts are, re- are relatively unnecessary. You know, we got large sidewalks and a lot of lighting out here. But we visited Atlanta last week, and sure enough, in the lobby of the shul, they have a massive you know, pile of these belts you know, sitting in a, in a big container. And I know that in other areas that are tuned in right now in New York and New Jersey, same thing. Uh, more than I would ever suspect. I have to remember that we're the minority over here, and the majority of communities really need those safety belts to get through Shabbos uh, in a safe way. Absolutely. Wear them. Wear them. And it's not just when hundreds of people are leaving shul. You could have a couple of teenagers going to a friend's house later at night, two people making a left, working around the corner. You know, no one realizes somebody's walking at 1 o'clock in the morning or 12 o'clock at night. Wear the belt. Contact us. We'll give you them if you need them. Thank you for everything. you do need them. Thank you. They certainly do. Thank you for everything. Best to your family, everybody at the firm. We appreciate all your help. And, of course, a wonderful Shabbos to you. To you as well, Nachum. Have a good Shabbos. Ross Rothenberg. There he is. Rothenberg Law Firm, InjuryLawyer.com. Big sponsor. Actually presenting sponsor this year of the, uh, again, for the second year in a row of the Kosher Halftime Show. And always there for us. We, we, we always said we could do these uh, presentations of safety measures, etc. I never thought they would be as effective as they are. I never thought we would start speaking to people from the Rothenberg Law Firm and literally come up with hundreds, it seems, certainly tens of pieces of advice that we can give people uh, when it comes to safety measures. And yeah, this uh, uh, the safety belt, the reflective belts, the reflective vests, whatever it is that people are using in different communities, so important. And the Rothenbergs, as you heard, provided for uh, many different synagogues around town. And don't forget Harry Rothenberg's video blog. I watched it earlier today. It's going to be on at 1 o'clock on our stream and today he does discuss the issue of giving. After all, it's Parshas Truma. He does discuss the issue of giving and being a giver. Uh, it, it helped me, uh, when I saw Harry's um, a video blog, it helped me recall my father's words. He once said to me, remember, givers live longer than takers. And I think if you listen to Harry's blog about the Parsha, you're going to come away with a very similar point of view. It is time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM.
songs of Shabbos well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com. On the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JM&AM. I want to wish a mazel tov to the honorees at this year's uh, 36th annual TABC dinner. TABC dinner is this coming Sunday night. Nomi and Yechiel Rothblatt, Rabbi Joel Grossman, Aaron Safier, Mazal Tov to all of you from all of us here at JM and the AM. A reminder tomorrow night, the Young Israel of Manhattan has their 40th annual concert right here in this neighborhood. Simcha Liner and Ari Goldwag tomorrow night beginning at 845 at Seward Park High School in Manhattan, 350 Grand Street. Information 212 <coughs> 732-0966. 212-732-0966. Don't forget. Naomi Nachman's next with Table for Two, then Mark Zamek and the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos show. Harry Rothenberg's video blog, Erev Shabbos music mix with uh, our friends at Kedem. Uh, tomorrow night, Saturday night, single with Avrami. Matis uh, Sunday morning with JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Monday morning, Shlomo Katz in studio with me here at JM. They have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Till uh, next time, Nachman's single reminding you, remember the past, live the present, trust the future.